Mark, the gospel writer, Peter, the apostle Peter's apprentice, Mark, is is very brief in his descriptions of many things. He chooses his, his stories selectively. So it's it's significant that he chooses to include this story, the calling of a man named Levi, a tax collector, who the other Gospels call Matthew, and not unusual for a man to have two different names. Perhaps even his name was changed by Jesus, as Peter's name was changed to Peter, originally called Simon, to indicate that Peter was now the rock. <coughs> Peter's faith, by the way, was anything but rock-like when he was walking with Jesus. Jesus named him something that he wanted him to become, that he was making him into. Levi, or Matthew, likewise, was a work in progress. In fact, I think that Mark chooses to include this for a reason, and that is because Levi was coming from the most unlikely of places to become a follower of Jesus. In the Gospels, we see 12 key disciples of Jesus, the men that Jesus invested most in. But only five of them are described, only five of their calls are described in the Gospel accounts. The first four we looked at a few weeks ago when Jesus called four fishermen to follow him. Fishermen not educated as the scribes and the uh, other prominent people in Jesus' time would have been. And yet Jesus uses those men to become the core even of the twelve, three of those four men, to become the core of his twelve. Levi is the only one who's singled out, though, tax collector. We read here in chapter 2, verse 13, that Jesus went out again beside the sea, most likely still in the town of Capernaum, his home base. And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Levi rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, at his Levi's house, we learn from the other gospel writers, Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word to us. Will you pray with me? Our Father, thank you for this, your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, because we know when they're pleasing in your sight, they're best for us. Open our hearts to see, to hear, to believe things more wonderful than we can imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want you to use your imagination now and imagine yourself in this setting 
in the town of Capernaum near the Sea of Galilee, right on the town, perhaps a town of about 10,000 where Jesus' activities were by now well known. His reputation goes ahead of him. Tax collector Levi surely would have known about him in the town there. Now, tax collectors in that day were not like the IRS is today. Perhaps you've gotten a letter from the IRS and you get nervous about what it contains and you interact with them. You may think they're annoying. You may not like our tax laws. But still, the IRS has to follow certain rules that are fair. They're under authority. Well, the tax collectors in Jesus' day, particularly this type of tax collector who collected tariffs, most likely on goods as they were being transported on the road or even by sea. Capernaum was a a crossroads kind of town where it was strategic to place a tax collector. They weren't exactly fair. In fact, the way... The way the HR department in the days hired tax collectors, they would go to a town and find some locals in the town and they would have the locals bid on who could collect the most taxes from the town. So these were the friends and neighbors in the town who were bidding against each other to collect the most taxes from their friends and family in order to be sent from the Jewish people or from the people of whatever town, in this case the Jews, send those money back to the Roman Empire so that they could maintain their control over, over the region. The tax collectors were the ultimate sellouts, and the way that they made their money was by collecting not what was fair, but as much as they could possibly get away with, without some type of rebellion or Somebody taking matters into their own hands. It's not insignificant then that Levi, when he's sitting in the house with, in his own house, perhaps a well-decorated house from the money that he had taken from his neighbors and friends, the only friends that he had there to invite were the other tax collectors and the sinners who were excluded from the rest of life in the town of Capernaum. Perhaps this included other somewhat thieves, not really breaking the Romans' laws, but certainly breaking God's laws in various ways. So when Jesus is walking to the shore and he passes by the office of Levi that is out there for the people to see And Jesus says simply, follow me. How startling it must have been for Levi to begin with, even to hear those words from Jesus. Maybe he asked him to repeat himself. Doesn't seem like it, at least not from the text. It seems like he heard the words and he responded immediately. Why would... Levi, this hated person, followed Jesus so immediately. Perhaps it is because, precisely because he had felt the alienation that came from his poor choices earlier in life. 
that he felt like the lepers must have felt. The lepers we talked about before had to stay outside of the cities, outside of the camp when the people of God were moving through the wilderness and camped. He knew what it was to feel ostracized relationally as the lepers did relationally and physically. I said two weeks ago I'd come back to that question. Was this fair for the lepers to have been ostracized from society, cast out of the camp? And the answer to that is twofold. Well, first... To be ostracized from society oftentimes puts us, the lepers, the tax collectors, in a place that is more accessible to receiving God's forgiveness. These people in Jesus' poignant and memorable words were the ones who knew they were sick, as opposed to the righteous were good at convincing themselves that they didn't need a physician for their souls. Jesus came to call the sinners, and you and I know that when we respond to Jesus, it's oftentimes at a place where we're most aware of our own sins. I can remember my own experience having heard the gospel growing up from a high school friend having experienced life in the church, reading the Bible, studying it, but not necessarily understanding the gospel, and then leaving for college in that first year of college, being on my own, free to make my own decisions. And it wasn't until then that an awareness of my own sin came over me like a flood. And those truths that I had learned before became a lot more attractive. That Jesus came to save sinners As Paul said in his epistle, Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. The lepers, the second point, were never meant to be ostracized entirely. The people were to bring them not only food and supplies, but care as they were kept away, quarantined from the rest of the people. If they did experience complete ostracization, it was because the people of God were not caring for them as God had called them to care for. It was because the people of God were not entering into the messy, difficult places of life and bringing the hope of God into those places. And now the scribes of the Pharisees that is, the leaders of the Pharisees, the educated ones of this party called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the ones who were convinced that they could keep all of God's laws perfectly and that that was what set them apart from everybody else. Now you see that they were actually guilty of ostracizing those in need of God And in effect, ostracizing themselves. What's worse, to know you're far from God or to be far from God and not even realize it? I used to joke when I was uh, doing uh, 
uh, <clears throat> work on our house in St. Louis. We bought this 100-year-old house. It had needed all kinds of work, and I was not a carpenter. I thought I was an engineer. I could figure this out, and so I went, and I realized my limitations quickly along the way in the process. But one thing I found in the process was that caulk, silicone caulk, covers a multitude of airs. <laughs> Even the do-it-yourselfers have figured this out. You can cover up all kinds of things. And as I did that, and as our bank account was dwindling down because we had to hire contractors to do more and more, I realized that money, in a similar way, and power, in a similar way, covers up or seems to cover up a multitude of our sins. It blinds us to our imperfections. It makes us unaware of our sickness, our sin sickness, our need of a great physician. And that was what Jesus had come to show that he was to God's people. To the people of Israel first, and then taking it out to the border regions of the Gentiles, and then it expanding to all the nations. At the heart of Jesus' message was that he had come to enter into the messy places of life to bring healing, not to the righteous, but to those who were aware of their own sin. To those who knew they needed something, but they didn't know where to turn. So it is not shocking at all that Levi would respond so quickly to Jesus' call. And notice that even the tax collectors and the sinners who had gathered to him responded to him positively. It's said more specifically in other Gospels. In fact, Luke, Luke seems to pick up on this theme a lot more than Mark. Last week we looked at Mark. Uh, at the, the, the principles of discipleship that Mark brings out. Mark is concerned that we become disciples of Jesus. Not simply that we acknowledge who he is, the demons acknowledged who he was and they shuddered, but they didn't follow Jesus. Mark is concerned in his gospel that we come and follow Jesus with our whole heart and being, mind and soul, as that catechism question said earlier. If you listen to that list, I won't read it out again today, we'll come back to it. You'll notice that one of the things that was not on that list was showing compassion to others who are hurting. And Mark really doesn't draw that out in great detail apart from this passage and a few other places, but it's very brief in Mark. But Luke, Luke draws it out in detail. In fact, Luke, whereas Mark pits Jesus against the scribes, Luke pits Mark, Jesus against the Pharisees. The scribes were the educated ones. The Pharisees were the ones who worked really hard to follow all of God's rules to earn his favor. Sometimes there was overlap, as we see here, the scribes of the Pharisees, the educated ones of the Pharisees. But Luke brings out Jesus' confrontation with those, those Pharisees, especially in Luke chapter 3, we see a story of two people going into the temple to pray. One of those people was a Pharisee. 
one of those people was a tax collector. The Pharisee, it says, looked to God and he said, Thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like this tax collector. Thank you, God, that I follow your commands, that I do all the things that you have wanted me to do. Thank you, God, that you have put me in this position. And the tax collector says, beat his breast. He said, forgive me, Lord, for I am a sinner. Jesus said, one of those men went away justified that day. I don't need to tell you which one it was. Tax collectors knew their place in relationship to God in a way that the Pharisees did not understand. They were ripe to hear the gospel. They were ready. Luke brings out the point that Jesus goes to them over and over and calls out the Pharisees but enters into the the hurting places. But he doesn't stop by going into the houses of the tax collectors. In fact, right afterwards in that that story in Luke chapter 3, Jesus interacting with these Pharisees and tax collectors It says that Jesus entered into the home of one of the the Pharisees named Simon. I'm sorry, I had the reference wrong. I just finally got to Luke chapter 3. It's Luke chapter 18, if you want to know, if you were looking for it. Jesus enters into the house of a Pharisee. He enters into even a more difficult place in many ways, than the houses of the tax collectors. He presents the gospel to the Pharisees. He shows them their need in a way that is true of the passage we're looking at today and also of many other places in Luke, the gospel of Luke. You see, Jesus wasn't just there to save Sinners like tax collectors, Jesus was there to save sinners like Pharisees as well. The story we're looking at today here, this brief true story, in fact, is a very close parallel to the story Luke tells that Jesus told, a parable, a fictional story, but that brings out the point of the tax collector and the Pharisees. Luke chapter 15 is a familiar chapter to us because it tells the story of the parable of the prodigal son. The chapter opens with the words that the scribes and the Pharisees, the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Jesus and also the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. And Jesus tells three parables. The first one is of a lost sheep. It says the shepherd leaves his 99 other sheep and he goes and finds the lost sheep and brings it back. And what happens He calls together his friends and they rejoice and throw a party. He says a woman loses a valuable coin out of ten that she has. And when she finds it, she rejoices. And what does she do? She calls together her friends. Throws a party. 
father has two sons, and one of his sons says, give me all my inheritance. I want to leave and go experience the world. I don't want to be a part of this family anymore. And so his father gives him his inheritance, and he goes and squanders it. While his other son stays there to work with him. The parable appears to be a parable directed toward those wayward sons. Come back to me, you who are lost. Even more than that, a parable of God going after his sons to look for their, his lost treasure. He goes after his sheep. He goes after his coin. Even when the son returns on the road, his father runs out to meet him. And that's certainly true. Jesus came to save sinners and he goes after those Sinners, but the parable goes on to point out how the older son responded in order to draw a picture for the Pharisees to see how they were further from God than even the tax collectors or the younger son. Because when the father welcomes the younger son back and calls for a party to be thrown, the older son responds with anger. He says, I've done everything you've asked me. I've followed all the rules. Why don't I get this? And the father graciously says, you've been with me always. Everything I have is yours. You haven't lost anything in this deal. For you still have my love. But we've gained something back by this sinner coming back to us. Jesus was willing to go into the difficult places, but the difficult places were both the places where the sinners gathered and the places where people who were sinners who didn't think they were sinners gathered. And the call for us out of these stories, out of this passage in Mark and also out of the story of the prodigal son in Luke is a call for us to enter into the dark places of our culture that oftentimes are not, cannot be reached by our typical dependence on mass media to communicate the gospel. We need to enter into the places where, friends, even family, are, and be willing to sit there for a while for the process of redemption to take hold to enter into these difficult places and experience people's pain as they grow, even after they've accepted the gospel, as they grow in understanding, as Levi did, as Peter did, as they walked with Jesus. To enter into the lion's den of our cultures, the places where people will say, why are you going into those places? Now listen, it's popular to go into a lot of those places today to go to foreign countries and go into the brothels to rescue women out of slavery. That may be good, but that may not be the place that God is calling you to go. It's popular to go into the inner city and to help people, but that may not be the place where God is calling you to go. God may be calling you to enter into a place that it takes a long time to help a homeless person back to a place where they feel loved and accepted. It may be a place of the elderly 
where people have Alzheimer's and they just need you to sit with them every day until they die. Maybe a place where people just do things that you don't enjoy doing and you spend time getting to know those people. It probably isn't the place where you enjoy what they are doing most. In fact, take warning that we are not Jesus. In fact, it's an important principle to note that what Jesus does is not necessarily what all of his disciples are called to do, and that's not necessarily what we are all called to do. Jesus could enter into the house of sinners, into the presence of prostitutes in a way that men who struggle with lust cannot and should not do. Jesus could enter into a place where alcohol is being consumed in volumes and minister to those places in a way that an alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic or a recovered alcoholic is not called to do. See, we as his disciples are not just called to ask the question, what would Jesus do? But to ask the question, what is Jesus calling us to do? Because the two things are not always the same. We are limited in our capabilities. But recognize this intense call that we are called to leave the safety and the comfort of our places in life and enter into these places. It's questionable where this comment, this quote came from, but one person, many have attributed it to a pastor named William Shedd. He said, a ship is safe in a harbor, but that's not what ships are for. See, we are called to follow Jesus and to bring the good news of his salvation into the dark, into the hurting, into the messy places of life, because those are the places where people are prepared to hear and to receive. Now listen, that place may be a place of Pharisees. And I hate to admit it, but oftentimes our churches are the places of Pharisees today. I don't think that our church can be accused of being this type of place. Maybe at times we can, but there's an important question. Is your church a place where sinners can come in and experience the love of God in such a way that their life is transformed? Now notice I didn't just stop at the first Part of that. Jesus didn't just go in and say everything's going to be fine. Jesus went into places and he said, your sins are forgiven, now go and sin no more. Jesus came into these messy places with a power that transforms people. That power is not just the law of God, the reminder of what they should and and should be doing. The power is the love of God that is found in Jesus bringing true forgiveness of their sins. Tim Keller uh, gives a, a challenging quote. I was just shuffling through my papers trying to find it. Ah, there's one more. Here we have it. Found this at the last minute. Jesus' teaching consistently attracted the irreligious 
He said, Keller, this is Keller, while offending the Bible-believing religious people of his day. However, in the main, our churches today do not have this effect. The kind of outsiders Jesus attracted are not attracted to contemporary churches. He says, even the most avant-garde ones, we tend to draw conservative, buttoned-down, moralistic people. The licentious and liberated or the broken and marginal avoid church. He says that can only mean one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. Listen, the point I want you to see here is, is twofold. First, we need to be going into these messy places, and we need to be making this church a place where people who are furthest from God feel welcome, but also challenged in a way that is filled with the structure and support that people need to change. At the same time, we need to be challenging the Pharisaism that's in all of our hearts. That we're tempted toward, like the Pharisee who prayed in the temple, of comparing ourselves to other people who are sinners and finding our value and our worth in our relative righteousness compared to them. And this applies in a lot of life because we do this all the time in comparing ourselves to others and how we did on tests and how we perform in the workplace and how we do in parenting and how we do in all kinds of places. But the gospel calls us not to measure our worth in comparison to how we're doing related to others. In fact, it warns us that that is a path that leads to a self-righteousness and even a path that leads to hell itself because we convince ourselves that we are not sinners in need of God's healing in need of Jesus' salvation I think if, if we are a church that recognizes our own temptation toward Phariseeism all the time and confesses that on a regular basis we can't help but be a place where people who were tax collectors and prostitutes and whatever the sins, alcoholics and all the other sins of the day would feel like they had a place in our family because they are fellow sinners gathered at the feet of the cross recognizing that Jesus died for them in the same way he died for us. Do you perceive your need for Jesus every day, not just to get better as a person, not just to be a better parent, to be a better worker, to get more wealth, but to forgive you of your sins that continue today and tomorrow and the next day that you become more and more aware of as you see Jesus more and more at work in your life. This is the gospel that attracts tax collectors and sinners. 
And it's a gospel that still has the same power today as it did in Jesus' day. Because we proclaim the same Jesus who met with those tax collectors and sinners then. Let's pray. Our great Father, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness into a marvelous light. And we confess that we continue to sin and compare ourselves with others. May we find ourselves in the seat of tax collectors who are willing and able to come and follow you with all of our life. To enter into the messy places around us and to bring the good news of salvation and to make this church family a place where people who need Jesus can come and find and meet Jesus and follow him. We pray in his name. Amen.